Our leader will now share for 25 minutes describing what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now. Our leader for tonight is Caleb. Hi, I'm Caleb. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Caleb. Hi, everyone. Um, it's really nice to be here. I haven't been in this room for a while. Uh, my routine's changed. This used to be my home meeting, um, and it looks much nicer now. The floors are nicer, and there's light, and there's no more mice running around. <laughs> it's, it's for the better. Um, welcome to the newcomers. I hope that what I have to say is helpful tonight, uh, but if it's not, go to more meetings or talk to other people afterwards, because someone here has had some kind of experience you can identify with. Um, so let me just qualify briefly. I know this is a century meeting. Um, I do consider myself to have experienced morbid obesity at my top weight. I was about 275 pounds. I don't know that I have a full 100 pounds to lose. My doctor has said that it's best not to think about it that way, so I'm trying not to think about it that way, but just for sort of full transparency, given the premise of the meeting, I wanted to start with that. Um, so I want to share a little bit about what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Um, so I was thinking today um, about what my sort of first food memories are. And it's funny because they kind of predict what my disease became. Uh, my earliest food memories are of a childcare provider giving me sugar cubes as a secret snack. Um, and with each one telling me not to tell anyone that that's what we were doing together. Um, I don't remember, I think it was probably in like second or third grade when I have those memories. Um, and that did not mean that I became someone who identifies as a sugar addict. For me, my form of this disease, and I'll talk more about this in a little bit, is about quantity and behavior and not about the specific foods. Um, but the idea of having sort of secret treat foods and having it be something that wasn't meant to be shared with the world at large and that I could do in excess in private was just sort of what hallmarked the first 25 years of my life. Um, so that just sort of grew from there. I grew up in a household where health was at a premium. My parents subscribed to all of the sort of health food magazines and public health publications. Um, we shopped at organic natural food stores before there was a Whole Foods in San Francisco. Um, we, I always got warned when I went to other people's houses not to eat the food that they had there because it wasn't our food. It wasn't organic or whole wheat or a smoothie or whatever it was that we were doing at that time in my household. Um, and I think I internalized really early that food had sort of moral value and there were foods that were okay and foods that were bad foods. And if we ate the bad foods, we were bad people. Um, and I liked the bad foods. And so I was a bad person when I ate them. Um, I remember sort of trying to convince everyone that wasn't in my family to help me access the forbidden foods for about as long as I can remember. So starting with that babysitter, um, when I got into uh, kind of like, I remember fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we used to bring lunches to my school. And there was a whole like underground economy where you could try and trade your lunches. And my lunches were horrible. So if I wanted to get the treats that I wanted, I had to trade my entire lunch for like one thing. And I would do it because the food that I came with just didn't feel like it was gonna scratch the itch that I had. But if I could have a fraction of someone else's sweet thing or salty thing or whatever, it would sort of make the day okay somehow. Um, when I got to high school, I learned how to uh, borrow money and also how to steal and that kind of upped my food um, abuse really uh, about that time my parents got divorced and all of my grandparents got ill and so my parents were gone a lot all of a sudden I had a lot of independence and they had petty cash and so I used that um, I learned that's when I learned that there were phone numbers that you could call that were connected to restaurants and that people would bring you food if you called those phone numbers and you had cash for them I also have really clear memories of going to great lengths to hide all the evidence of the things I'd eaten. Um, so if 
I was alone for an evening and there had been a dinner that I was supposed to have, I would order in whatever it was that I wanted to have and then I would not only destroy that evidence, like bag up the trash, walk around the corner, throw it out in someone else's trash can, but then I would also like put down the processor, the thing I was supposed to have eaten, so that there was no questions that would be asked when my parents got home. Um, you know, the what I think about more and more is, I listened to a podcast recently, I think it was a speaker from LA who said that one of the um, great ironies of their disease is that they had a constant urge to isolate and they were really shitty at being alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really identify with that. And I think my experience with eating was a lot about that, that it was sort of something I could do in private because it felt like I was a really anxious kid and it felt like this was a way to, to not feel those feelings, um, but only for a second. And then they'd come back worse than before. Um, so that was sort of the beginning of my, of my illness. Uh, when I got to college, I had more freedom um, to eat more. The place I went to college had a dining hall that had a buffet in it. It was basically unlimited food, all you could eat. Uh, and I ate all I could eat. Uh, and when that wasn't enough, I ordered food. Um, when I graduated from college, thank you, I was um, really nervous about my first job. I had a lot of kind of professional performance anxiety. And the place that I worked was above a food court. Uh, and so I would mark every day by sort of getting to go to the food court. So I'd go in the morning on the way to work, I'd go at lunch, I'd go for an afternoon snack, and then I'd go on the way home. And it broke the chunks of the day up into what felt like manageable segments. Um, and so my whole life was sort of predicated around food and hiding it. Um, I was living with a girlfriend at the time, and I had to pretend that I'd be hungry for dinner when I got home, and I had to then you know eat it or hide it or whatever. Like I had a whole performance I had to keep up around healthy eating. So... Um, that's kind of the history of this disease for me. I also made me into a real isolator. I missed out on a lot of um, social activities and a lot of sort of opportunities to connect with people because I preferred to be alone with food. I went through, I did graduate school eventually, and I went through most of graduate school, like literally closing the blinds and eating as much as I could while people were connecting outside of my door, outside of my window. Like I couldn't handle that. Uh, and food was a way to kind of isolate and feel safe, uh, except for that it wasn't, because it didn't work, it didn't solve any problems. Um, so in terms of what happened, uh, I'm trying to read my notes, and I have a thing here that looks like it says Emily Pigeon. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> um, oh, I do know what it means. Uh, uh, so in terms of what happened, I, I kind of became cursed with the awareness that I wasn't eating in a normal way when I well before I got into program, but kind of in my mid-20s. I was working with a therapist uh, who sort of saw and heard me talking about some food behaviors and referred me to an eating disorder clinic where um, they tried to teach me kind of some intuitive eating and healthy behaviors around balanced eating, um, which I know is a set of tools that works for for a lot of people. Um, And it's interesting. It kind of worked for me in the context of a given meal. Like I could think about intuitive eating when I sat down for dinner, but then my intuition told me I needed to have like eight more things from the fridge a couple of hours later. And that's where it fell apart for me. Um, but when I got into that, it was an outpatient kind of eating disorder program. Uh, it, it kind of ruined binging for me because they introduced the awareness that what I was doing sort of wasn't healthy and that it was harming me. I also had this whole like weird parallel thinking about how I'd put on weight consistently since I was about 16. Um, but I adhered to a lot of the food rules that my family had. So like I went 20 years without eating white rice, but like somehow I still managed to eat seven pizzas and, and I didn't, 
I didn't compute that I thought that because I was keeping these certain rules around food, I shouldn't be gaining weight. And the binge stuff happened in a different part of my brain. Um, and that therapist and that eating disorder program totally ruined that for me. And that was sort of the beginning of my coming into OA was I realized that this was really a self-destructive thing. Um, and I had to figure out something to deal with it. Um, but it didn't work right away. I went to, actually I went to an OA meeting when I lived there. Um, this was in a different part of the country and um, for folks who may be in the room for the first time, it might be useful to know I heard nothing that appealed to me. My memories of the meeting were that it was in a church basement. They started and ended with the Lord's Prayer. Um, I remember hearing that if you didn't confess that you were addicted to flour and sugar, that you were lying to yourself. And my experience, mine has been that I can, you know, I did the Atkins diet pretty well in high school and just binged on fat and salt and not flour and sugar. For me, there's those, I don't identify as addicted to those foods. And so that just, none of that resonated with me. So I left and I didn't go back for, for four years and I wish I had. Um, eventually I had an intervention from my family. Uh, my sister worked in public health and met someone at a conference who um, suggested that they were in a 12-step program for food and it had helped them with this sort of similar set of issues that, that I had experienced. Uh, and it turned out that this guy lived down the street from me in a different part of the country. And so my family asked if I'd consider meeting with him. I think they were really worried and had seen my kind of physical health deteriorate. Uh, and I said no, I wouldn't meet with him. And then the next day, my parents are divorced and my sister comes from my mom's side of the family. The next day my dad called and was like, I hear that there's someone who you could meet with who could help you. And I was like, shit, if my parents are talking to each other about this, like, this is a serious problem. Um, so I met with the guy to keep my parents from talking to each other, basically. Uh, and he took me to a couple of meetings and, and couldn't have been more generous. Um, and at that point, I started to hear things that I identified with, that there were people in the rooms who had had stories that sounded like mine. Um, I found men who had experienced compulsive eating, which had been hard for me to find my first go around. Uh, and, and then I promptly, like two weeks later, moved all the way across the country and, and was really sad because I felt like I'd found this community, I found these people, I didn't want to take the risk to show up again somewhere else in a different part of the country. But I did. Um, and I started coming to meetings pretty regularly, uh, thank you, around kind of January-ish of 2013. Um, it took me a while to get abstinent, probably a year, a year and a half. It took me a while to go to more than one meeting. It took me a while to find a sponsor. I kind of dipped a toe in the OA water and then just left it there for a while um, to see what would happen. <laughs> um, you know, one of the first things I remember hearing when I came the second time into OA that like I continue to just be really grateful for, um, and I don't know why, but this was just really resonating with me today as I was thinking about my story, is the idea of take what you want and leave the rest. And my sponsor has encouraged me over the years to think about taking more and leaving less. <laughs> so I think <laughs> the idea, um, its a it, for folks who may not have heard that, it's a phrase we use in OA, which is that folks come into these rooms with a whole variety of different kind of eating behaviors that, that they're here to help deal with. And you may not be able to identify with the details of what anyone has, but there's something there that can appeal to you or that uh, may sound similar. And that's been a good life lesson for me. Um, so I'm working on that. So. Kind of what's life like now? Um, so I've been abstinent probably for three, three and a half years. I had a, a, a really intense one-day relapse about three and a half years ago where I was at a work event where I felt sort of socially uncomfortable and went to the buffet line there 15 times in an hour uh, and then decided that that day was ruined, so I may as well eat everything that I could. 
And then I had a, for, for whatever reason, my higher power kind of like put a, put a halt to that slide. And I called my sponsor that night and was like, this is what's happening. I need to meet. I need to find a new plan. Um, there's a relapse and recovery meeting Wednesday nights in the city where anyone can speak, anyone can have a service position. It's sort of intended for folks who may be falling in and out or slipping in the rooms. And I went there and got a service position the next week. Um, and that's what kept me in the rooms, really. So if anyone's struggling or feels like they want to go to a place where they can be really honest about what's going on, um, I find that meeting to be a really comfortable, welcoming place. Um, my kind of journey to where I've been now has been when I started working with a sponsor, what we kind of identified was that my core eating disorder, compulsive food behavior was secret eating. Um, that's really at the crux of my illness. Um, and so my first kind of act of willingness was to take a picture of everything I ate and to text it to my sponsor. Um, I still do that. He's asked me to stop <laughs> and I've refused because um, I just find that to be really helpful as a kind of bottom line honesty question. Um, it took me a long time to get to a place where I proactively plan my food. I heard in another podcast recently that uh, the tool is called a plan of eating. It's not called guidelines of eating. It's not called feelings about what you can and can't eat. It's called a plan of eating, which suggests that planning is a part of it. Um, it was new to me when I heard it. I don't know if that's obvious to everyone else. Uh, and it took me a really long time to get to a place where I was willing to plan food ahead of time. And I can tell you it's one of the best things that I've done in recovery. Um, my sponsor talks a lot about wanting to sort of keep the volume of the disease from like an overwhelming jet flying overhead sound to a just very dull white noise. Um, and for me, planning does that. When I started photographing my food, when I first kind of got serious about working with my sponsor, I would say, you know, for lunch, I'm going to have one of these three things. Or for dinner, I'm going to have some protein and some carbohydrates and some vegetables. And then I would spend the hours leading up to the meal thinking about what I could fit within those parameters. Um, and that didn't quiet the food noise in my head. It directed it a little bit, but it didn't quiet it. And so I found a lot of relief in getting specific about my food plan, and I still resist that. I still think that there's no way that I can foresee what dinner is going to look like, and so I can plan breakfast and lunch, but dinner is, you know, it's dinner. Like, it could be eight hours from now. Who knows? Um, and that's something I'm still working on. Um, I've also found service to be a really big part of my recovery. Um, I have done service at the meeting level, the intergroup level, the region level, um, service as a speaker, service showing up and trying to fold chairs, service calling people who raise their hands and say they'd like a call or who check that off on the phone list. I'm imperfect about that, but that has always helped me get out of my own skin. Um, one of the first things I learned from a fellow was when you're kind of feeling like you've got a problem you can't solve in your own life, call someone else and ask how you can help them. Um, and that's worked a lot for me over the years, even if I don't reach someone else, just that intuition or sort of that like corrective thinking is really helpful. Um, boy, I really can't read any of this. I go to meetings. Um, I should say, you know, I've had a lot of life happen since I've gotten into OA and gotten abstinent. Um, I went through a bad breakup. I moved a couple of times. I met someone. I got engaged. I got married. I moved some more times. I quit a job. Recently, I had a baby. I didn't. My wife had a baby, <laughs> um, as she reminds me. And uh, it's totally changed my routine and how I can work this program. Um, I 
I'm now trying to become a morning person, which means going to a meeting that starts at 7 a.m., which means being out of bed before like 6.55, which is not my natural inclination. Um, but going to meetings has always been really important to me. The, when, I, when I started program, someone told me that meetings are sort of the best tool that you can use because you can knock out some other tools while you're there. So when you're at meetings, you're likely to talk to someone. You're probably going to hear or participate in a prayer. You may have a chance to do service. There might be literature. And so like in one hour, you can just check a lot of boxes for program, um, which always appealed to me because I feel like I, I always feel like I don't have enough time. And so if I can go to one meeting and get like five things done for OA, it feels good. Um, but there's also just, you know, I've never binged or compulsively eaten while physically at a meeting. Um, and when I came into the rooms, that was about the only place that I knew that that was true. Uh, and so I try and come to meetings as much as I can. Um, you know, the, the, just to get really current and I feel like it wouldn't be, um, a fair share if I wasn't honest, I'm struggling with OA at this moment. It's helpful to get to come to the meeting. I worry that this is speaking tonight is more of service for me than it is for anyone else because when program gets hard, it's really helpful to be reminded of what it was like to fully be in my disease, and I am not there now, and I am really grateful for that. Um, but that being said, I'm struggling right now. I am resisting planning my food. Um, I have a lot of travel. I have a newborn. My sleep schedule is all fucked up. I have a new job, and so I'm trying to be the first one in the office and the last one to come home. Um, and I just feel like I don't have the time, and life is in the way of me trying to do my program stuff. And it has showed up in my food, uh, and I need to be honest about that. I've learned that um, I'm trying to distribute my honesty, so I still have like a fear of being totally honest with my sponsor about everything. So if I have a food slip or if I eat something that's not on my plan, I will call another fellow and tell them, or I'll tell my sponsor like every other one, and I'll tell someone else the other ones because I don't want one person to hold all of that truth about what's going on with me. Um, so I'm struggling with all of that stuff right now. The other thing I've realized that, that is this program has taught me is that I always thought that I was someone who didn't mind asking for help. And I still think that's true. Like in a lot of parts of my life, I'm very comfortable saying what I don't know, what I don't know how to do, asking for help. I've learned really recently, like maybe today, while I was preparing to speak at the meeting, that I don't like asking for help in here because I don't like what the answers are. The answers are usually more work. People will suggest if I'm struggling with food that I should do more writing or I should try and get to one more meeting a week or I should... You know, like, I know what it is. We have a playbook. There's not a lot of solutions that aren't floating around. Um, and I don't want to hear them, so I don't ask for help. And that's also getting in the way of my recovery right now. And, and I uh, am committed to this program, and I'm committed to doing what I need to do to sort of help my higher power connect with me and, and show me more clarity around what I'm meant to be doing. So I emailed or I texted my sponsor today and said, I feel like I need more active sponsorship. You know, give me some shit to do. Uh, which I'm not excited about, but I think will really help me. Uh, and I think the last thing I'll say is that one of the most valuable things that I've gotten from coming to OA is a community of people who have at least some level a shared experience of what it's like to do weird shit with food that you don't feel like anyone else does. Um, and that those folks uh, can sort of understand and relate to what I'm going through in ways that others can't. Like, I'm blessed to have a ton of really close friends. I'm really close with my family. I have a really wonderful relationship with my wife. And none of them have had this experience. And so like, if I go home and I'm cooking dinner and I have four crackers while I'm eating and then I have four crackers after I'm eating my dinner and that wasn't part of my plan, 
that can ruin my day. And if I say that to someone who hasn't been through what I've been through with the food and isn't working the 12 steps, like it doesn't compute. They're like, well, you had eight crackers, you know, like, and. Um, and so I feel like even when things are hard for me, I'm so grateful that there's a place to come where I can sort of share things like that. And there's folks who, if they haven't had that exact experience, have had something similar and are willing to kind of listen. Um, so I owe a ton to this program. I realize I didn't end on the most cheerful of notes. Um, but I would not be where I am in my life uh, if it wasn't for these rooms. I think I was putting on weight at a rate that probably would have led to me being in the hospital for one reason or another um, and was crazy. You know, I was obsessed with food and I wasn't present for life. And now I get to be present for life and kind of deal with food on the side, which is much better than the opposite. So um, thanks for listening and thanks for being here.